The Mike Lupica Podcast. New York Daily News columnist and best-selling author. Mike Lupica has covered just about Mike every sport. Lupica. Candid interviews with legends he calls friends. I was talking to Jordan about Woods after the basketball game mm-hmm. the other night. Everybody wants everybody in sports to be the next this guy, the next this guy. And Michael said, no, he's the first Tiger. In your face questions. How much of a dope is he? Compelling. A billion dollar industry, the biggest we've ever had in sports in this country, often comes down to a flip of the coin. This is the Mike Lupica Podcast. Here's Mike Lupica. Well, hello and welcome to the Mike Lupica Podcast. Today we'll be joined by my friend Steve Schmidt, who famously managed the John McCain presidential campaign in 2008, appears regularly on MSNBC, and is one of the smartest guys in politics and talking about politics in this country. We have a lot to talk about with the former FBI director, Jim Comey, testifying at the Senate Intelligence Committee hearing today as we're having this conversation. So I'm dragging Schmidt away from that, but I have a feeling that the good parts are going to come later. But before we get started on all that, this from Exxon and Mobile Synergy Gasoline. Engineered to provide better gas mileage, lower emissions, and improve engine responsiveness with seven key ingredients. Stop by your nearest Exxon or mobile station today to experience Synergy Gasoline. So as I said, we're joined by my friend Steve Schmidt, who, uh, you know, he knows, I I say this all the time, he's, of all the talking heads on, on television... He was one of the first and perhaps the first that said, and and not in a popular way, that Donald Trump could get the Republican nomination. Um, He managed John McCain's uh, presidential campaign. He tried to manage Sarah Palin at the same time. He was pay, he's played by Woody Harrelson in Game Change, but I really thought that that was a part that Steve was born to play himself. And, and Steve, before we start today, you know that you're not allowed to plead the fifth uh, in this podcast, right? I, 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 I'm going to testify openly and honestly and answer uh, the questions. Steve and I were on with Stephanie Rule uh, yesterday talking about all of this. And, and Steve, uh, let's just start with, with, with Comey's statement. Um, and, and what did you make of it? And he clearly stopped short of talking about obstruction of justice. But you said all day on television that you don't think he's going to talk about obstruction of justice today. No, I think we're going to see him talk about today or the events, what happened. Um, and I don't think he's going to make legal conclusions. I think he's going to you know, simply report to the Congress what, what happened in these, in these meetings with Donald Trump. And, and Steve, you know, th- this attack ad that is basically being run by um, FOTs, Friends of Trump, um, as someone who managed uh, someone as honorable as John McCain, um, as the Republican candidate for president, who are these attack ads against Comey? Who are they serving, Steve? I have no idea. The ad is so profoundly stupid. Uh, just a total hit job smearing this man. I, I remember some years ago, MoveOn.org did a very unfortunate ad going after General uh, Petraeus. And they said General Petraeus, uh, just, just attacking him. And it, and, it, and it backfired pretty profoundly. And, I, and, and, I'm, and I'm shocked, and I, I say this as someone had a senior role on the on the Bush campaign and, and served in the Bush White House. Um, remarkable that a that a White House would have bet that type of smearing and slandering of of Jim Comey. And you know, the reality here is that with with Comey, 
I, I think some of his decisions are certainly open to criticism over the last year. I, I've been very critical of them, his departures from Justice Department policy and guidelines. But he, he's a man of enormous moral rectitude. He spent a long time uh, in public life and in, in, in public service. And, and nobody, and I mean nobody, has ever questioned his fidelity to the, to the truth, his fidelity to his, to his oath. Uh, he is a he is a man of integrity, and and the the attacks on him, I, I think, by a White House that 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 frankly is known for its moral turpitude, are 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 going to backfire. And and we're talking to Steve Schmidt. Steve, when when we anticipate, you know, and we may be dead wrong on how Trump's going to uh, react to this. But does, for back, lack of a better expression, does he want really want to get into a character off with James Comey? You would you would think not, but a lot of their decision making is is inexplicable. And as we listen to all of this today, I think it's important to remember the predicament the White House finds itself in is is as a result of self inflicted wounds. It's you know this I, I said yesterday on, on on one of the shows. So this White House is is run like Colonel Clink ran Stalag thirteen in Hogan's <laughs> Heroes. It's just. Just extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, every hour someone's taking their sidearm out and, and firing another bullet into their into their foot. Um, but but let's step back for a second. And you know what this is what this is about is that why do we have an independent FBI? And we have an independent FBI in America because we're a nation of laws, and we have a separation of powers. We have co-equal branches of government. We have checks and balances and. You know, the president's defenders increasingly are relying on this argument that, you know, the president's wholesale ignorance of how the American system works, how American government functions is what explicates him, you know, from, you know, uh, trying to pressure and trying to interfere in these investigations. And I think it's a ludicrous premise. And, you know, as, as we were talking about yesterday, I think uh, when we were sitting next to each other on MSNBC, I said he Trump has no interest in the history or the need for the separation of powers because he's so deeply he's just so deeply fascinated by his own powers. No, no question about it. I mean, I, you know, I think it's been widely reported. He doesn't read. Um, he consumes information from cable news. He doesn't have a sense of the country's history. I think he has little sense of the, the charter documents of the country, you know, how American government was conceptualized, organized, you know, how it, how it all works. And, and I think you see that day after day in this, in this White House with their, with their sloppiness and, and incompetence. You know, Steve, you said something yesterday that, that that this predates the firing of Comey. He said, if there were you, I'm, I'm paraphrasing what you said, but he said smart people around Trump, and we have to assume there are some smart people, had to at some point have said, okay, whatever we do, whatever we do, let's not do anything that gets the appointment of a special counsel. And now that's exactly what's happened. And it's now made James Coney, Comey, for these moments, the most famous man in the world, even more famous than Donald Trump today. I, yeah, look, I, for sure, if, if you kind of ponder for a second special counsels in their history, it's important to remember, you know, Bill Clinton didn't meet Monica Lewinsky for, for two years after the appointment of, of a special counsel. 
these things meander into territory and will, you know, raise up issues and, and questions that we haven't that we haven't yet pondered. And so there were there was really nothing the White House could do to shorten the the window of investigations that are taking place and, you know, in, in Congress and, and everywhere else around around these Russia issues. But there were many things they could do to prolong it. And if you were sitting in that White House, I, I think you would have said to the president, you would have said, Mr. President, the one thing that we cannot allow to happen here, that 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 must not happen. We can't do anything by our own hand, you know, that will initiate uh, the appointment of a special counsel. And and now they have one, and he's the most respected law enforcement official in the country, Robert Mueller. And and how about how about the statement that Trump's lawyer? Um, issued late yesterday that that said that Comey's opening statement had totally vindicated the president. Yeah, I, I think what's going to be interesting here is you read the you read the ink on the on the lawyer. He's no Washington experience, no government experience. And, you know, his his uh, I guess his rep is he's a New York tough guy. Right. And, you know, it's welcome to Washington. And uh, I think he's going to have a hard time. And I think that, you know, as we look at the politics of all of this, you know, presidents, you know, poll numbers are in the mid 30s. You know, we're less than 150 days in. That's unprecedented. Um, it's the it's the worst start for a new president, you know, in the history of the American presidency, with the possible exception of William Henry Harrison, the ninth president who only made it 30 days before he died. Steve, and obviously we're doing a version um, with this podcast today. I'm talking to Steve Schmidt of a, of a football pregame show. But how do you expect the Republicans on this committee to come at Comey today and come at this? Because I think if they look like they want to re-prosecute Hillary Clinton or if they're carrying the coat of this particular president, they open themselves up to huge and lasting uh, collateral damage. So, you know, Joe DiMaggio's hitting streak, right, 56 games. I think the Republican streak of overreaching and messing up in these hearings goes back at least 20 years um, <laughs> and probably probably a little longer. I don't you know, I don't know um, if, you know, the, the lack of self-awareness is such that we're actually going to see a lot of questioning around Hillary Clinton and, you know, her email server. I think the country's moved on. You know, she's finished in public life. Um, and Republicans, I think, would be well served to try to get to the bottom, you know, of, of what's going on on these issues. And, you know, chief amongst them, I mean, you just kind of step back from it all. I mean, why? But I've been again, you know, I've been in a really high level in two presidential campaigns. Uh, we won one, lost one. Um, but I know when we ran against John Kerry from the Bush side in 2004, I guarantee you no one on the Bush campaign was talking to the Russians and no one on the Kerry campaign was. And in 2008 with McCain, we weren't talking to the Russians and neither was the Obama campaign. And so I don't under I don't understand when you when you go back and you look at the campaign, why was it that the only thing the Trump campaign cared about in the Republican platform was that they wanted the provisions calling for the arming of Ukraine out of the out of the Republican platform? 
why is it that the that the you know spy houses um, that were closed by the Obama administration that the Trump administration unilaterally wants to open them? Why is everybody lying about their contacts? Um, you know, whether it's a sin of omission or commission, I don't know yet, right? But why is everyone lying about the amount of contacts they had with with the Russians? Why? Is Jared Kushner meeting with a Russian banker during the transition? Why are they proposing back-channel communications to the Russians that can evade, you know, American signals intelligence? I, the list of this stuff is so bizarre, so weird. And you know, we look at the interference in our elections process, which is an attack on the sovereignty of the country. You know, members of Congress who take an oath to the Constitution, I think, are duty-bound. You know, to try to get to the bottom of it and, and to follow the facts wherever they may lead. We're talking with Steve Schmidt on the Mike Lubica podcast. Much more with Steve after this from Helix Mattresses. One size fits all never really fits, right? So then why is your mattress one size fits all? Well, because a truly customized mattress will cost you five to 10,000 bucks until now. You have to check out Helix.com. Here's what I want you to do. Go to HelixSleep.com, answer a few simple questions, and they'll run a 3D biomechanical model of your body, resulting in an optimized mattress that's completely custom to your needs. It will also be the most comfortable mattress you've ever slept on. They can even customize each side of the mattress for couples. Your mattress arrives at your door in about a week, and shipping is completely free. And here's my favorite part. You have a hundred nights to try it out. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. No questions asked. Go to helixsleep.com slash Mike and get 50 bucks off your order right now. That's helixsleep.com slash Mike for $50 off helixsleep.com slash Mike. This is something else we talked about yesterday and, and on and off the air. And, and to me, the most troubling part, the most troubling part, whether the him saying lay off a of Flynn, the most troubling part of Comey's statement, Steve, was his clear lack of trust in his own Justice Department, which can be the only reason that he didn't take these concerns to Jeff Sessions. Yeah, I mean, clearly, I, I, I can't. This is that's the answer to the, the that that answer to the question, which is coming. I, I can't wait to hear, which is. You know, why Why were you so troubled that you, you literally were, were cracking open the, the laptop and, and typing it immediately after a meeting with the, with the president in the car, in your, in your FBI vehicle as you're, as you're pulling away from Trump Tower, but you didn't say anything to the, to the, to the attorney general? I, I just I'm fascinated by what the answer to that question is going to be. You know, I've been writing a newspaper column, which feels like my whole life. And, and boy, Steve, every time I ever rushed out of a meeting, okay, even ones that I had taken notes on already to make sure that my recollections were uh, uh, immediate, it's because I thought something important or troubling had, had just happened. And you're right. That image of him rushing to the car and pulling out a laptop. And, and, and here's my question for all the, the, the people who are coming at him from, from the yahoos from the far right, okay? Is he making this all up? And if he is making this all up, 
And there is a paper trail or an electronic trail of mem- uh, memos. To what end, Steve? What what did he hope to gain here by keeping a record of his conversations with this president? So, I, look, I, I think that, you know, I, I think it's standard practice for an attorney, for a prosecutor, for a law enforcement official of his stature to, to memorialize meetings that, particularly meetings that, that he found, you know, that he found troubling. Um I do think like one of the interesting aspects of this of this testimony today is that you know we live in this time where trust is collapsed in in every institution in the country you can think to name with the exception of the military and you know as you're watching and I you know and I you know I say this as someone who's 46 years old you just kind of culturally how astounding it is to see Bill 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 Cosby on trial for sexual assault right you know doctor right. Dr. Huxtable, or you, you think of Lance Armstrong, or you think of the baseball steroid scandal, right? All the all the fallen heroes out there. We think of, you know, how how mainstream it is. Just 150 days into this administration, the amount of lying, right? Lying about big things, small things, trivial things, right? That you know, the plain picture of the crowd size, which shows President Obama is bigger than Trump's. You know, and their claims, you know, from the White House, from the podium, like you're in North Korea or, you know, thinking of Baghdad Bob, right, from the early days of the Iraq (laughs) War. Right, right, right. We're we're so uh, accustomed now to to people in government just lying to you. And and this is someone who who put it in the bank. You know, this this is a truth teller. This is someone who you can disagree with him. You can question decisions he's made. But but you, you can't question a, a lifetime of moral rectitude on the part of Jim Comey. This is someone out of central casting, you know, in, in terms of his commitment, his fidelity to the truth. And, and I think you're going to see this play out today. And whatever the, the administration says happened, you know, that's contrary to what Comey asserted to happen. I know who's telling the truth in that in that in 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 that case. And it's Jim Comey. And and Steve, you know, again, um, sometimes you feel and, and, and what you said was completely right. And sometimes you feel in this country that that things like honor and grace are, are, are too often sneered at. You know, I was telling you about my my 93 year old dad and flying 31 missions during uh, World War Two. And I now joke with him, Dad, do you think you were the stuff you are seeing in this country? Do you think you, you fought for that? But when when I look at what's going on, I, I remember an incredibly honorable, graceful moment from John McCain when when, the, you know, you remember when that woman at the town hall meeting and I'm paraphrasing here, she basically questioned whether whether Obama was was what a good American. Right. Yep. And 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 your guy in that moment. And, and by the way. He for 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 those he helped himself with, he probably hurt himself politically with whatever the, the, the base was at that moment. But he couldn't Steve, he couldn't go against his own principles in that moment. No, look, I, I, I believe this. I believe this deeply. I we're, we're a divided country politically, but I but I think it's key to remember. I, I, I don't know how you can claim to love your country if you don't love your countrymen. And, and that that includes people who violently disagree with you politically and and violently. I, I, I don't mean with violence, of course, I, I mean, in the in the strength of 
strength of their opinions. But um, you know, people who disagree with you politically are not your enemies. The country's not in a civil war. They're your they're your political opponents. And you you talk about your father, ninety three years old, a member of that that greatest generation. And you know, one experience. You know, if you if you could if you could share it with every American, right? It would it would be to spend some time in the American cemetery overlooking Omaha Beach in in Normandy, France, and you have the you know thousands of grave markers, all of them facing west towards home. You know, an army at permanent, silent, eternal rest. And you think of that scene in Private Ryan at the end when. You know, as an old man, he returns to that cemetery, to the to the gravesite of the Tom Hanks character, and he says to to his wife, um, recalling the admonition that the Tom Hanks character had given him, that earn it, earn it. And he asks his wife, "Have I been a good man? You know, have I earned it?" And you think of that army at rest there, in in silent judgment of this generation of Americans and leaders. You know, stewards of the great inheritance that we all have and and we're obligated as trustees to pass it on to our kids and our grandkids right a a country free and prosperous and thriving with with liberty and justice um and our our political leadership you know has fallen so short in so many ways when judged against the profound sacrifices that have been made within the history of a human lifetime it's extraordinary to think about it. You know, about 10 years ago, I gave the commencement address at my oldest son's high school graduation. And, and I said during the speech that we, as parents, feel like we have one uh, a responsibility above all the others and somehow present our children an even better world than the one we've been presented with. Now, my kids are older than your kids, but Steve, I can't tell my children that my generation has done that for him the way my dad's generation did it for me. No, you can't, you can't. And, um, you know, I, and I, but I would say the country is resilient. Um, we have, we have had other generations in the history of the, of the country that, that have fallen down. Um, what we, what we've not had, I, I think is a, is a, is the proximity of a, of a generation that's fallen as far short as the current one has in, in such proximity to one of the great generations in the history of the country. And, uh, and the contrast is, and the contrast is startling. Hey, Steve, I was thinking about this, uh, today when we were getting ready to have this conversation. Um, and, and it, it's not a unique or a, a new thought, but I wonder if you've ever thought about it or, or discussed it. Did the initial popularity of Sarah Palin um, nine years ago, someone who was so clearly out of her depth in an odd way, did she open the door for Trump? No, I, you know, I, you know, people say that to me. I, you know, look, I, at the end of the day, I, I think the candidate that opened the door to Donald Trump was Hillary Clinton. Um, and, yeah. and I, I think Democrats would be well served to, to bear that in mind. Um, you know, you really, if you think about it, um, I'm not, I'm not sure that there's another Democrat I could think to name that, that, that he would have beaten. What I do think that Sarah Palin represents is, is an intellectual corruption of the conservative movement and, uh, and the Republican party but not around the initial popularity. I, I think it was a point, you know, after that, where 
She had demonstrated a, a manifest incompetence on the campaign trail, a total lack of preparedness, um, and emotional stability for, for high office. And if you if you go back and you watch the, the news conference, you know, that was, you know, called, you know, fairly ad hoc, where she resigns from the, you know, office of the governor of Alaska. And this incoherent and rambling speech, I'll, I'll never forget it was specifically the coverage on Fox News where, you know, you see a, 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 a plethora of analysts and, and pundits and, you know, people associated with the Republican Party and the conservative movement, even at that hour, saying, oh, no, she's going to be a very formidable presidential candidate um, in, a, in a couple of years time. And you just sat there scratching your scratching your head and say, you know, what the hell happened here? Um, you know, the Republican Party, you know, was a was a party of ideas. And so you you now you project that out, you know, to where we are in 2017. There's a there's a straight line connection between the rise of this know nothingness that that's permeated the party to a total lack of a policy agenda. I mean, that's why Republicans, when you look at where we are now with them having total control of government, I mean, there is no tax reform. There is no entitlement reform. There is no infrastructure bill. The Obamacare repeal is on its way to going down as one of the biggest broken political promises in American history. The, the policy agenda is just so completely bankrupt um, and, and nonsensical, including, you know, the president's budget, which has a two trillion dollar mathematical error to it. You know, it's not it's uh, it's just extraordinary when you when you think about that is that the, the collapse intellectually uh, of any substance ar- around the Republican Party and the conservative movement. It's extraordinary. By the way, it, it took apparently it took about a minute for James Comey. As he began speaking today to talk about how um, he felt that FBI had been defamed with lies involving his firing. And he said that and he's also talked about how troubled he was by Steve, the quote, shifting explanations of why he was fired. Yeah, you're just you're watching this hearing there just from his posture. He said he couldn't he couldn't possibly be more out of central casting. He just oozes, you know, integrity and, and seriousness. And this is going to be an interesting day to watch, watch, watch the questioning of him. You know, and, 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 and here's the thing about Comey and, and we, we're in agreement. And I, you know, I said this to you yesterday. I, veteran FBI guys who like and respect James Comey still don't understand what the hell he was doing last summer with that press conference about Hillary Clinton. But there is this uh, uh, implication or even innuendo that that somehow takes away all of the credibility he has he has built up, Steve, across an exemplary public life. Yeah, look, I you know, we're not we're not sitting here and I'm not sitting here saying that, you know, Jim, 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 Jim Comey's uh, decision making is faultless. I think there's, and I was very critical of of his decisions, and I and I think they're inexplicable. He, he violated Justice Department policy. He departed from the normal rules and procedures, and uh, and and I and I think he harmed, you know, the institution that he led by doing that. But but that's that's a question of judgment and decision making. 
that's not a question uh, about this man's in- integrity and character and and I and, and for sure um I think that you know he would argue and, and believes and I don't doubt his intentions on this you know I think that he believed that he was doing the right thing last summer but again you know there's just no evidence over this long public career that he that he hasn't been a, a an op, a person who's operated with the, the highest levels of of integrity we're talking to Steve Schmidt on, on the Mike Lubiga podcast. Steve, what did you make? And I, I know the guy has no impulse control and, 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 and he's proven that across the four months of his presidency. Was he just trying to bluff or muscle Comey when he, when he tweeted out that he better hope that there are no tapes of their conversation? Yeah, I have no idea. Um, I just, you know, it's, it's like asking me, you know, why did Mike Tyson bite Evander Holyfield's ear, right? Why would he do that, right? Yeah, why I would just, he do something like that? You, yeah. know, you have no idea. Um, you know, I think clearly there's there's no tapes. There's no recording device. I'd love it if there was. If there are tapes, they don't belong to Donald Trump. They belong to the American people. Um, and that's, uh, you know, they'd be, they'd be fascinating to hear, but... You know, he's got no impulse control and the and the blustering, um, you know, is just, you know, become part and parcel of this administration. You know, as you watch the train wreck that became the Clinton campaign and, and who knows how much Comey did to lose the election for, you know, that that's for uh, historians way smarter than me to figure out as you watch it as a former head of a, of a presidential campaign. What would you have had her do differently? The campaign was so contrived and right from the beginning where she hops into a vehicle with Uma Abedin. And of course, if Hillary Clinton was going to Ohio from New York, right, she would drive and, you know, stop at a bunch of Chipotles on the on the way. Um, There was no economic message uh, for blue collar America. You know, the the voters who buy about 80,000 votes across, you know, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan, you know, helped Donald Trump pull off an inside straight. Um, I think you've seen in her comments after the, you know, in in recent weeks is, is a real inability to, you know, a real inability to accept any level of responsibility um, and I think that was the issue with the email server. I mean, uh, you know, I kind of try to explain it to people like this. You know, I, I generally think, you know, we, we talk and, you know, we, 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 we slice people in all these categories, right? African-American, Hispanic-American, Asian-American, you know, gay-American, and so on and so forth. But I, I've always said to people, you know, I tend to look at life through the prism of that the, the real big divide for adults is there's parents and there's non-parents. And if, and if you're a parent, I think you know what that means. Um, and in the same way, you know, I think there's people who have held high-level security clearances and people that haven't. And anybody who's held a high-level security clearance, whether they're a Democrat or a Republican, worked in a Republican administration or a Democratic administration, her handling of classified information with this email server is just completely inexplicable. And and her inability to accept responsibility for it, to apologize for it, um, 
had a had a lot to do at a, at a character level of, of why she why she went down. And the and the other problem that that Hillary Clinton had in this race is there there was never a figure that we actually as a country seriously considered making president who had been on the stage under the hot lights for as long as she had been right at the center of the stage. The only, the only other person who's analogous is Richard Nixon, you know, who was famous for 20 years. Um, 20, you, know, you just Yelp thought of that. Yep. yep. And, and, you know, and he wasn't as famous and not for as long as she was. And so, you know, if you look back at, at the, what was Hillary Clinton's campaign about? I mean, you could yep. hold a gun to my head. And I can't tell you. No, it was it was kind of the same as it was the first time she ran for president. It's like it's my turn, and you know what else always nagged at me. And until the end, I still thought she was going to get three hundred electoral college yeah, votes so and win. Okay, yeah, and and but the one thing that nagged at me, and I I'm, I wrote about it a couple times just in passing. You know who the only two guys she ever beat were? Rick Lazio and John Spencer. That's who she beat to get elected to the United States Senate. And when she finally ran up against, you know, a a guy that came on the world like Muhammad Ali, she lost despite all we had always been told about the Clinton machine. And and boy, that Clinton machine, uh, Steve, uh, it didn't get Al Gore across the finish line. It didn't get her past Obama. And it certainly didn't get her past Donald Trump. No, I, look, there was an orthodoxy that took root in the Democratic Party, right, that Barack Obama had permanently changed the the composition of the American electorate, the Obama coalition, and that you had an ascending coalition of millennials, uh, people of color, um, that that we're going to make it demographically impossible for, for Republicans to, to win an election. And the reality is, is that once about every 20 years or so, a, a political athlete, you know, of the caliber of a LeBron James, you know, or a Tom Brady comes along. And you, you had John Kennedy in 60, Reagan in 80, and Bill Clinton in 92, and Barack Obama in 2008. And so, when Barack Obama is not on the ballot, the electorate snapped back to how it performed demographically from before Barack Obama was on the ballot. And when that happens for Democrats, there's a there's a category of voter that there's still an awful lot of in this country that we don't spend any time talking about. And that's white males. And you know, Democrats are going to have a real challenge, you know, connecting with, with this part of the electorate. I mean, in, in our lifetime, you know, as we've watched and observed politics, I mean, I think it's been defined by this vertical line that runs down the middle of the field that separates right and left. And we tend to debate our politics between the 45-yard line. I think what you saw in this race is the drawing of a new line. It's a horizontal one, and above it are the people who have benefited from globalization, benefited from the technology revolution, and below it are the people that have been left behind. You know, these are the people that, you know, 13 million families lose their homes in the Great Recession, 11 million people lose their jobs. They haven't seen a real wage increase, you know, in a generation. Um, We look at these counties where, you know, we can track the rise and intensity of the opioid epidemic as a predictor of a switch from a Obama County to a Trump County, 
We look at voters who voted for Bernie Sanders and, and then Donald Trump and say, you know, how can you swing from Bernie Sanders to Donald Trump? And, and the way you can do it is don't look at it through that ideological lens. Look at it through that horizontal line, because what unites these voters is a profound belief is that the system is rigged. It's not on the level. It's rigged for the people at the top, the people above that line, at the expense of the people below the line. And it's becoming a defining feature of our politics. And the condescension and the elitism, you know, that's taken root in the Democratic Party and the scorn, you know, that's heaped on these people who are below that line in these places is a very, very real thing. And the next Democratic nominee is going to have a lot of work to do you know, to repair the breach that's opened up with that part of the country. You know, I was thinking um, as as uh, Comey's testimony just begins today that I don't know how big Donald Trump is going to lose today, Steve. But I think the big winner of this day in in so many profound ways is going to be the fired director of the FBI. Yeah, there's there's no there's no question about it. I, I just you know you just look at his bearing, his command presence, his his seriousness, his you know, directness in answering in answering the questions. You know the the American people, or at least a portion of the country that that is interested in finding out what's going on and, and what happened, I think is going to respond very positively to him. Steve, as a political insider and, and, and someone who knows not only the game, but so many of the players in the game, what was your first reaction when you got the news that Trump had fired Comey? Oh, you said, oh, my God. And now there's going to be a special counsel because the way they tried to pin it on the deputy attorney general who spent his entire career in public service, you know, he had a choice. He was either going to appoint a special counsel or he was going to be stained for all time um, by what appeared to be a political act. And it was just as, as predictable as the sun rising in the east and setting in the west. That was going to be the impact of this. The, 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 frankly, the stupidity, you know, of, of people in the White House who, who went and told the president that, hey, we could fire Comey and the Democrats will be fine with it. And no problem. It's just just incredible. Not a word for it. And you can't fix stupid. Um, and that's part of the problem with this with this White House. We'll have more with Steve Schmidt after this from Zip Recruiter. Whether football, basketball, or baseball is your sport of choice, you know that the key to winning is a strong roster. So when you're hiring in business, you need to get the best talent and use ZipRecruiter. At ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your position. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. In fact, over 80% of the jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate, listen to this, in just 24 hours. And right now, my listeners can start forming their own winning team on ZipRecruiter for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Lupica. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Lupica. Try it for free today at ZipRecruiter.com slash Lupica. We're talking with my friend Steve Schmidt, who to me is as smart as anybody talking about politics in this country in this time. Steve, I've been trying to imagine the dream candidate for the Democrats in the next 
presidential election, whether they're running against President Trump or President Pence. Okay. And, and I don't think it's, it might not be anybody who's got the spotlight on them right now, but it can't be, uh, it can't be Joe Biden. It can't be Bernie Sanders. It, it somehow, can you fashion for me, um, maybe a 40 ish or 50 ish populist from some part of the country who, who, who doesn't look like he's pandering to the progressive wing of the democratic party. Yeah, look, I, I, I think that you have as wide an open field in the, in the democratic side of, as we have seen in our, in our lifetimes. And, you know, I, I think that there's some democratic candidates. I, you know, Seth Moulton, uh, Harvard, Harvard Law School, Marine combat veteran, you know, very good on TV. Uh, he's a congressman from Massachusetts. Um, I do think that, you know, Trump has completely changed the bar of entry um, into, into the race, you know, from a qualifications perspective. You just saw, you know, Mitch Landrew in, in New Orleans. He's a very effective governor, give a very thoughtful address on a, on a very divisive issue, which is what do you do with all these Confederate, Confederate monuments? And maybe he'll run. Um, but, but I think when you, when you ponder what, what's going to go on in the Democratic race, I, I mean, the reality is, is the person who can stand up on that debate stage and distinguish themselves, right, that can win. Uh, the debate, who can communicate most clearly, most effectively, who's not 80 years old or pushing on 80, that person's going to emerge. And, um, and, and I also think, um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, certainly economically, this remains a right of center country. And so I think the democratic socialism, you know, espoused by a, a Bernie Sanders or an Elizabeth Warren, um, I, I don't think sells in the middle of the electorate. And, you know, if you if you think about, you know, the prospect of can the Democrats nominate a Bernie Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, you know, maybe maybe they could. But, boy, are, are you increasing by by dram- in dramatic fashion the chances that a, that a Donald Trump could get actually reelected? We're, we're conducting this interview with Steve uh, Schmidt. He's trying to keep one eye on Comey and, and, and pay attention to my, you know, dopey questions. But uh, one of the things that Comey just said was that he wrote meeting notes because he knew he might um, have to defend himself and the, and the FBI. That's a pretty powerful statement. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's, he's clearly, you know, he's clearly very, very troubled by it. I mean, he knows what the rules are. He knows what's appropriate and, and what's not appropriate and he's an institutionalist he was trying to defend the the integrity and the independence of you know not not just the premier law enforcement agency in the in the united states the premier law enforcement agency in the world the federal bureau of investigation do steve do you see yourself once again running a presidential campaign for somebody from either party someday i was uh he's joke around i said that Yes, I've been in the inner circle of a winning one and a and a losing one. Both are better outcomes than doing a third one. But uh, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. the, um, you know, but you never say never. They're um, you know they're incredibly exciting um, ventures to be to be part of. They matter. It's how we it's how we pick our leaders in the in the country. You know, I think for the for the right person. 
uh, you know, it's something that I'd, I'd be open to. But, you know, I mean, I think if for anybody who's listening, you know, to the podcast, um, you know, whether it's as a, as a volunteer, as a staff member, if you're a young person, you know, that's the great things to, 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 to take a lap around the track doing. Um, and, you know, I've had, I've had great, great experiences and, and great memories from the two I've been involved in. Hey, w- w- was the most frustrating thing for you when it was McCain against Obama that that Obama really wasn't running against your guy? He was running against the incumbent. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it wasn't I mean, it wasn't a secret to us. Right. I, I mean, you know, you've had you've had uh, in the last hundred eighteen years. Right. You know, at that time, one hundred eight years, you've had. You know, the, the, the incumbent president's party, you know, who's gotten, you know, who's been in there for two terms, you know, the incumbent, the incumbent party's only gotten a third term, you know, three times. You know, it, you know FDR got a third term, uh, Her- Herbert Hoover followed Calvin Coolidge, and you know, George Herbert Walker Bush followed Ronald Reagan when Ronald Reagan had a 60% approval rating. And I was a, you know, again, you know, an alumni of the Bush campaign and, you know, in the Bush White House and, you know, I have deep admiration and, and respect for President Bush, but, you know, it wasn't wasn't a secret at that moment of time as we had, you know, as we were coming into 2008, that his, that his approval numbers were low. Um, and, and, you know, we have this moment in September, you know, where in the middle of the month, quite improbably, John McCain's five points ahead of, you know, Senator Obama and, you know, the global economy collapses. Lehman Brothers goes down, the stock market collapses, and, you know, John McCain fell behind and, and didn't get back up. You know, there's two types of elections. You know, there's change elections and there's more of the same. And in 2008, uh, you know, it was, it was certainly a change election. You know, sometimes these elections are jump, jump balls. You know, the 04 election was like that. I would argue the 12 election was like that. Um, and and I think as you look ahead to 2020, I think you're going to have a very powerful change dynamic uh, uh, loose again in the country. Another real time question on Comey's testimony today, he, he, Steve. He's a, he's made it pretty clear that Mueller's going to investigate obstruction of justice. I mean, I there didn't seem to be much equivocation there. And and you you're, you were absolutely right yesterday. It's not for him to talk about obstruction of justice, but it sure as hell is for the special counsel. Yeah, of course. And you you have someone who's just you know in in Robert Mueller, who is. You know, has the same reputation for integrity that that Jim Comey does, um, and you have somebody who was a long tenured director of the FBI who you know stayed clear of any controversy in whose whose decision making you know was never suspect or, or questioned. You see, he's simply the most respected law enforcement official in the in the country, um, and he's he's literally, I think, probably the singularly most dangerous person. Uh, if you were Donald Trump, uh, to to have possibly been appointed the special special counsel, and uh, he's going to get to the bottom of all this stuff, and we're going to find out the answer. Is this today? Does this go back to the the famous line? I think it was Lyndon Johnson that I first heard it attributed it to that about whether you want somebody inside the tent pissing out or outside the tent pissing in, Steve. <laughs> My first rule of politics. Right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, 100%.
All right, a couple more questions, and then you've been so nice to do this on this particular day in American history. What was it like for Stevie Schmidt out of Jersey to to look up at his television screen and see himself being not only portrayed by Woody Harrelson in a movie, but be a major figure in that movie? So I I had the, they they showed the movie, they showed a rough cut, and it it was shown, uh, and I remember we were in, um, was living up in Lake Tahoe at the time, and uh, a couple of years after the campaign, we saw it in a hotel suite in uh, in Reno, Nevada, and uh, watched it for two hours. Um, the movie was very accurate, uh, you know, and it was it was like having an out of body experience, and I and I've never seen something or had an experience where it where I had a stronger urge to have a drink afterwards than. than then and I did watch that movie. I mean, it was it's a surreal experience, you know, for sure. And oh, by the way, I, I Comey and you know that that famous half hug um, at the White House between Trump and, and Comey. It wasn't exactly the Fredo kiss, Steve. But Comey said what the president whispered in my ear was, "I really look forward to working with you." <laughs> yeah. Well, it's amazing. You know, you talk again about his, his capacity for truthfulness. You know, and you watch that video, and you know Comey had it been reported in the press that that you know he's trying to hide in the drapes. You know, trying to get himself lost in the room, and you and you watch him, you know, literally emerge from behind the curtains when when Trump calls for him. You know, just just amazing. He's trying to six foot eight, you know, hiding in the back of the room, you know, wrapped up in the curtains, you know, to to avoid being called in the presence of the president. He knows, you know, just he just knows. I think instinctually that something untoward is going to be said to to him. You know, my friend Bill Goldman, who won the Academy Award for writing the script of All the President's Men, you know, has always told me what a challenge it was because so much was happening in real time as he was trying to adapt Woodward and and Birdseed's book. Is there any way for any of us to make an informed prediction about how Mueller, the Russian investigation, is going to play out, say, over the next even three months, forget about six months or a year. No, um, there's not. And I think everybody should follow the facts and be patient and not make conclusions in the absence of evidence and facts. And I do think that the, the one thing that, that for certain now that wasn't clear before a special counsel was appointed I think it was an open question if we were ever going to get to the bottom of what, if any, ties the Trump organization has to Russian money, what, if any, contacts members of the campaign had with uh, foreign nationals, including members of adversarial intelligence services. Um, But now we're going to find out everything that happened. And and I'm and I'm confident on that, but we may not find it out next week. In fact, we won't find it out next week, and we may not find it out next month or even next year. But we will all find out exactly what happened with all this stuff, and the truth will emerge. And you know, and that's people who are upset or down. I, I have an appreciation for the resiliency of the American system of government, and if you think about 
the country and you think about the geniuses that founded it and they were geniuses. It was a, it was a, it was a genius cluster. The, the entire American system of government is constituted around, uh, the idea that one day there would be a president like Trump. And, and I think what, what the founders would have been surprised is that it took 240 plus years to get there. <laughs> uh, but here we are. And, you know, the American system is working. You see the federal courts working. You see the power of the First Amendment in a free and independent press. You see co-equal branches of government conducting investigations, though imperfectly. And, and all of this together uh, will produce the, the appropriate transparency uh, for the American people in this government of the people, by the people, for the people. That is as good a valedictory for today as anyway. Again, I, uh, I I make no secret of the fact that uh, that I think st- not only is Steve Schmidt honest, but he's an independent thinker. Um, he makes more sense about this stuff than anybody I know. I'm always happy when I find out that you know he he'll be able to dumb down his conversation just enough that I that I'm able to process it on on MSNBC. Thank you so much uh, for doing this today. Hey, Mike, always We're, great to be with you. And again, everybody, download this podcast. It grows every single week. Subscribe to it. You can leave comments. Uh, you can leave comments. I'm sure I've said nothing to, to upset you, but I'm uh, Steve Schmidt over the last hour must have. And uh, I'll talk to you next week, everybody. The Mike Lupica podcast is produced and distributed by Compass Media Networks in conjunction with Hiltzik Creative. For iPhone users, go to the podcast app and search the Mike Lupica podcast. Click on the Mike Lupica podcast icon and subscribe. For non-iPhone users, you can listen on Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast platform. 